Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls Like as Ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? I think you meant Hilo, uh, Kate, because... <laughs> I got a I got a real question for you. Have you ever really thought about TV, Kate? Like really thought about it, man? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Have you? Have never. you thought about TV? Never, not really. I was thinking about TV, man, and I was just like, it's like that cave, man. You know that cave with the shadows? And <laughs> did Plato invent TV, man? I think he did. And that's just so crazy that the Greeks invented TV. Yeah, it is yeah. crazy. It's very crazy that they invented TV. Yeah. Have you ever thought about TV, Kate? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm absolutely tanking this bit just because I'm not funny and good at <laughs> improv. And I, for that, I apologize. apologize. I know I'm supposed to yes and, and I've been trying to, but just the, I'm, having, I'm good with the yes and terrible with the and. So I apologize. <laughs> no, listeners, it's episode 420 this week. It is. And then like the McElroys, we're not skipping episode 420 because we're professionals. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah, it's a lot easier to avoid missing those things when like you number every episode because there's yeah. plenty of people who like have like more topical things uh, as the name of their episodes as opposed to the televerse number 420 uh, whatever show we're spotlighting <laughs> this week in this case mind hunter season two um have you ever thought about the mind kate like oh i don't even want to like <laughs> contemplate the stuff in mind hunter and the the people in mind hunter with like adding on 420 to that not ne- like no no one needs that in their brain can we just really kate i just really want to like sit on the couch and Watch the ocean episodes of Planet Earth. Can we do that? Because those octopus, man, they just freak me out, but in a good way. Better than Mindhunter is all I'm <laughs> saying. I don't need... <laughs> Cameron Britton? What's the name of the actor that I'm thinking of? Who's amazing Yeah, Mindhunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I think that's correct. Don't need to sit and think about that one. Uh, and that would just... That would that would be bad. But yes, the the happy, friendly octopi, yes. They are delightful. Yes. I actually can go down quite the K-hole of YouTube spiraling on, like, on, on those Octopi videos. Because sure. they're just really, really cool. The one where the, I'm sure we're thinking of the same one, the where it turns and the texture changes and it goes yeah. into the coral. Like, I've seen that one so many times just because it's amazing. The Earth and the planet is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but particularly, like, the ocean, man. Because, like, did you know that we just don't know that much about the ocean? We know more about Mars we know about the ocean. The ocean's right there. Like, you could walk to the ocean, Kate. The ocean is scary. Um, and that actually ties into some of our TV this week, because uh, there's a whole thing about the ocean being scary in uh, in in the Terror Infamy. So I'm going to pivot us back to the week's TV. Um, I'm but- just going to keep talking like I've smoked a lot. A lot. I'm not, I'm not gonna a do lot. That. No. Oh, it was. No. I was trying to decide if that would make editing easier or harder for when I like do the times too. I feel like it would actually make it easier. Yeah. It might because there'd be a lot, lot of long pauses for you to like. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I had but... to like edit out all the long. Pa- it'd be a whole thing. Yeah, 
No, um, and I can't keep that up because um, it just sounds exhausting. I've only been high. It's exhausting, and I've actually only been high once in my entire life. Uh-huh. And I just got like mid grade paranoid and then fell asleep. <laughs> that sounds about right. That seems <laughs> yeah. That seems appropriate. I got very sleepy. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. Well, you're one. You're yeah. one up on me. Um, well, it's legal in my state. It's very easy. That, that well, I mean, also, I mean, we we both went to college, so I mean, and we're white, so yeah. you know, I, I don't feel like that's that much of a barrier for us. But that's fair. That's fair. Oh man, I probably just got mild contact highs just walking past the this one dorm at U of I, which was the yeah, the, no, the, I definitely the did too. Fine arts yeah. dorm. Um, well, not a specific, but like the one that all the 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 creative types tend to tended to go to. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yep, that's what that is. Okay, that's distinctive. I'll remember what that smells like. Uh, good times. <laughs> Memories of college. Uh, this week, we're talking about the podcast, like I said, we're talking about Mindhunter season uh, two. 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 Thank you. It's been Are you sure you didn't smoke anything? <laughs> it's been off so long. I was trying I was struggling to remember. As opposed to like Shira last last week, which was like the opposite problem where I feel like it was just on, so I have trouble keeping track. Um it, I feel like we should have had a third season of Mindhunter by now. But uh, we'll talk more about that when we get to the end of the show in our spotlight segment. Um but first we have some TV news. Let's let's start with the good one, I guess. Glow has been renewed for a fourth and final season. I am excited excited it's been renewed a little bummed it's going to be the final season but i feel like there's there's plenty of story for a fourth season and at least they're getting a fourth season which is no longer a sure thing in netflix yeah and i think a fourth season given like the trajectory of the show um feels like a natural sort of end point anyway given that i don't think there's a lot more you can do after they launch they get their own like television station um so it's just like you can't do much more after that unless they just start buying up other stations in markets um and form the glow network um a la like a cw upn wb sort of deal uh which i don't think is that can quite happen in the 80s they'd have to wait a little while longer until like 1996 mm-hmm. so maybe for the glow movie <laughs> okay okay yeah. thank you clinton for that um they're also in tv news this week shane gillis has been fired from snl so uh that is not what we anticipated but hey that's awesome and can we now just not talk about it like not talk about him or any of this again until the next when it's time for another round of hiring and then we can you know, remind them that we do actually do mild Googling. Uh, but, like, all these different think pieces and uh, about how, like, this is re- the real censorship and, like, tracking reactions from different... I really don't care what former SNL members think about this. I, I, I really don't care. Let's just move on and stop giving this guy attention and stop giving SNL attention for something that they clearly did very intentionally. Well, I mean, even acknowledging that they did really intentionally of, like, we really wanted, like, a conservative voice to balance out this perception that we're a liberal show. And I was just like, okay, sure. Um, but then you could, you, you know how to Google, right, Michael? You know how to Google, it's right, not, Lauren? It's not hard. Apparently not, because you just, you have the Trump approach to vetting, which is you do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Or just like, yeah, I assume it won't be a problem. And if it is, we'll just be quiet and people, it'll blow over. And if it's not, we'll just fire him and do something else. I mean, it's just, (laughs) 
I, yeah, it's just it's just bad. And uh, it's a kind of mistake that no one should be making and keeping their job. But yeah. You know. Anyways, good good luck dislodging Lauren Michaels from Thirty Rock. Yeah. Well, but I mean. He should have a person who does this, and the person who does this should do better. Yeah. So, anyways, um, in revival renewal news, there was a bunch of news about the new NBC streaming platform, which is going to be called Peacock. We which... Peacock streaming. <laughs> okay. Um, and and I was very much there with you know, several critics were talking about this. I mean, the, all these new streaming channels, it's just cable. It's just finding yes. a way to get you to pay more for cable. So it's going to expand out and then contract back down when people don't all do it. Uh, but I guess that'll be another, what, five, ten years before yes. that happens. Uh, the In the bag of news around Peacock, the ones that were most interesting to me is Amber Ruffin is getting her own show, which Amber Ruffin's great. I'd like her show to be on NBC or, yes. you know, not a streaming channel that hardly anybody's gonna pay for but still um but yay that's something uh and then also something about there's they're doing a battlestar galactica reboot again but with sam esmail who did mr robot that seems like a terrible idea but then i saw some rumblings that maybe it's like a just a not a reboot but just a show within that universe of of the already 2003 re- reboot remake and i mean just just don't, just don't do it, guys. Take take a show that didn't work great the first time, or it was a good idea, but like they didn't have the tech, or they didn't have the cast, or they didn't have the writers, or I don't know, and then reboot it and do your own version. Don't take a show that did that already and was critically acclaimed and won a bunch of Peabodies and like is one of the the <laughs> cornerstone um, sci-fi shows for a generation. That's just a bad idea. Yeah, it just, it seems very much like, all right, we've got our own streaming service. What space properties do we have that we can use to compete with Star mm-hmm. Trek on CBS All Access? It feels really blatant, sort of like time like time slot competition almost in mm-hmm. a way that basically doesn't exist anymore unless you're De- Vince McMahon with the WWE and whatever that new wrestling show on TNT is that they're already counter-programming against. <laughs> Um, that it just, it feels really bizarre that this is the decision that they're going to make, um, on any number of levels from Sam Eshmel's, um, presence, which does not instill a great deal of faith, um, in, for me, um, to just wanting to do it in general. Um, but on the upside, it just means that everyone's going to title their first reviews, Mr. Cylon, and it'll be great. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh. I think they're drastically overestimating the number of people who will buy their show, like buy their channel, buy their streaming um, platform for a Battlestar Galactica reboot. Well, to be fair, they're not going to get it for the Battlestar Galactica reboot. They're going to get it for the Office and the Office revival that they're going to do instead. Um, That also seems like a terrible idea. I mean, they passed. Maybe finally we'll get that Dwight Schrute. Um, bed and breakfast sh- spinoff that yeah, we yeah, promised, and that just that just never materialized. Um, but at the same time, like it does, at least having the office does feel really smart. Um, friend of the show, um, Corey Barker, who teaches uh, undergraduates, um, all think that the office is a Netflix show because they all watched it on Netflix and they love it. 
Yeah, and I did not anticipate that being as huge as it is at this point. Yeah, no, like, it, it was sort of like, I think the equivalent for it for us is um, people our age when we were in college getting super duper into the Golden Girls because it was on Lifetime a lot. Um, was that not a thing among your peer group? Because, like, no, everyone, but okay. we all, my peer group, we all knew Golden Girls from, like, I guess they would have seen it on Nick at Night. I didn't have cable, but yeah. um, we already knew it because it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was super big in my peer group because, like, people in college had, like, time to watch it on, like, Lifetime where it ran mm-hmm. for hours sometimes. And it was just a big deal. Um, but, yeah, so. Uh, I don't know why The Office is resonating, but I also don't like The Office that much, so. Well, there's that. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about Friends this week, um, which is, you know, for a reason I'll discuss next week. And, uh uh, that one as well. Like, there's a lot of these these huge, meaning long running, and they've they've either were or have become quite beloved uh, sitcoms. That like I would struggle to come up with a lot of really great episodes or really memorable characters. Just the the tone of the whole show is 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 really well paced, like really well put together and crafted. And it's very, if you, if you are within its wheelhouse, it's very uh, heartwarming and like familiar and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are certainly, I mean, I guess the best funniest episodes of either show are terrific. And I have certainly argued for um, the office. I remember, it's just so weird for me because I remember when I started at the AV club, the the office w- felt like underappreciated and overlooked, and now for me it's drastically overappreciated. <laughs> Especially some of you know because any show that runs that long, almost any show that run, runs that long has high points and low points, right? Yeah. Especially like the low points are seemed dramatically glazed over at this point. Um. So it's just it's just been strange <laughs> the public relationship with that show people who watch netflix go watch kim's convenience and Shit's creek so we can talk about them instead just go do that and then go find dvds of news radio as a lot of critics were saying this week they're, 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 go to your public library and get dvds of news radio and we can all talk about that instead oh uh, i do want to talk about news radio uh, yeah it's really good we love yeah. it. Well, yeah. Yeah. What's our last bit of news? Our last bit of news is that Boondocks will be getting revived at HBO Max. And I have a vague fondness for the animated show. I didn't see all of it, but I, I liked yeah. what I did see. Uh, I really liked the art and the vocal performances that I remember. What's your relationship with this one? Um, I was a huge, huge fan of the comic strip um, back when it was a comic strip. Um, it got taken out of circulation after the show really kicked in and Aaron Magruder shifted his priority to the show. But it's understandable that you're just like, I have a vague fondness for this because it just aired so sporadically on Adult Swim uh, that it was easy to kind of miss. And that that was part of the show's problem. Um, Part of the show's other problem was it occasionally lacked the bite and timely time timeliness of the comic strip because the production cycle for it was so long um that it just sometimes was good but never as seemingly biting as the comic strip was uh so i'm kind of excited about this uh to come back um 
and see what it is. But at the same time, then I have to get HBO Max to find out. So I don't know if I'm doing that yet. Yeah. I neither do I. I'm not currently planning on getting any of these new streaming things. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. The one that does have my interest most peaked is the Apple one because of their Emily Dickinson show, which looks yeah. like it could be really, really good. Or it could be stupid, but it could be really good. I mean, Let's it's see. got... John Mulaney is Henry David Thoreau, and I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> I just don't. I really, really don't. That's so good. Yeah, the cast is ridiculous in that one. So I don't know. We'll have to see. I'll, I'll have some difficult decisions to make when we get closer to the, the launch of that one. But oh, for now, we have plenty of TV to talk about for this week. And certainly next week, the deluge returns with the fall premieres. Are you ready? I actually totally forgot that it was story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know how you could forget because like every other ad for me on YouTube is a mixed dish, mixed dish ad. So they're like really pushing some of the new shows uh, on my oh, on my feed. I'm jealous. I get Doctor Sasquatch and hyper masculine soap ads instead. Um, uh-huh. And I wish I was That's getting mixed dish ads. Yeah, no. Maybe it's because I've been watching a lot of react videos to '80s music. That's probably why. Yeah, and I watch a bunch of Super Smash Brothers videos. So that'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, we have plenty of TV to talk about. So we will take a break and come back with our week in TV. And then at the end of the show, of course, we'll be spotlighting Mindhunter Season 2. We'll be right back after this. was Need You Tonight by NXS, uh, memorably danced to, once again, in the So You Think You Can Dance finale. Uh, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. But first up is A Little Late with Lily Singh, which premiered this week. This is the new late night talk show uh, hosted by Lily Singh. Then I'll talk a bit about Unbelievable on Netflix and The Terror Infamy, episode six, Taizo. Then Noel has an update on Terrace House Part 1. This is Terrace House Tokyo 2019-2020. Um, then I will talk a bit about the So You Think You Can Dance finale, uh, like the results and, and everything. They're big finale spectacular. And we'll round things out with the Great British Bake Off, Bread Week. So first up is A Little Late with Lily Singh. And, um, okay, uh, were you familiar with Lily Singh before this? No, I had zero idea who Lily Singh was. So I was just like, I have no idea who this is. But I'm going to watch this. Um, what about you? Okay. Did you know who she was? Who she is, I should I, say? <laughs> yeah. No, I have heard of her mm-hmm. um, from just, you know, pop culture stuff. And certainly, uh, like, I, I when she started popping up on my timeline a bunch, I was like, wait, what's going? What's the deal? Who is this? What is, you know? And then I was like, oh, she's a YouTuber? Okay, that makes sense. And then I was like, no, no, no. She's a YouTuber who has, like, 
made millions of dollars off of YouTube and has 14 million or to 15 million subscribers and followers. And now she's getting an NBC show. Oh, okay. That's very different than just a YouTuber because there's so many of them. Um, so I've seen some of her things. I've seen, I watched her hot ones. Uh, I've seen her on other things. She was, uh, um, on, she was in that, uh, that video, uh, girl like you by, uh, Maroon 5. Okay. When they had all the different women. She was one of them, you know, in there, in there. And so, like, I've, I've seen her pop up in my timeline here and there, but I have not, I was not a Superwoman, um, subscriber or viewer. Okay. Yeah. No, I just had zero idea. I didn't even know she was in a Maroon 5 music video. So, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Along with, like, everyone, like JLo and, uh, Gal Gadot and, uh, Ali Reisman and uh, lots of other people, <laughs> uh, so, which was, it was a cool video. But the point being, Little Late with Lily saying, just the fact that there is a woman in Late Night and network TV Late Night is a big deal. The fact that there is a Canadian woman is a big deal. The fact that there is a Canadian woman of Indian descent is a big deal. The fact that there's a Canadian a woman of Indian descent who is bisexual and openly bisexual hosting Late Night. All of this is a, like a significant deal. Uh, but for me, what actually comes through the most watching this this show, I've watched uh, like one full episode and then I've watched a lot of clips on YouTube because they're putting the whole show out on YouTube, um, is actually the YouTube of it all. So I love how like in, in your face, like we're going to be like, I am me. I am going to be talking about being of Indian descent. I am going to be talking about being bi. I'm like, this informs who I am deal with it right <laughs> like let's let's tear off that band-aid i appreciated that approach but for me i was really struck by the youtube of it all like the direct-to-camera and the um like the little like breaking the fourth wall glances and, and sides i don't i mean i don't think it's for me i'm not actually all that enamored of the style and approach of the show yet um but i also think that it's pretty uh easy to misjudge a daily late night show in with just their first few episodes. So this is the kind of show that I am likely to jump back in in like a month or so and see, you know, how the tone has been tweaked and adjusted and and see if I'm more interested now. I certainly was really uh, intrigued with the guests that she had this first week. I thought they were all really interesting, fun guests. So um, yeah, right now it's not for me, but I think it's a very distinct choice by NBC. And I think that is really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's it's just an interesting discourse around the show, like just on the level of representation, because like one of the weird things about it is just like, yes, no, I know that Sam B's show is at 1030, but she's Canadian. She, it's it's a late night esque show type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a weird discourse in which she's not acknowledged. And then there's like a pass, but a passing acknowledgement of Hassan Minaj um in the first episode and it's just like this is weirdly structured in how we're discoursing about this show but it's still really significant for all the all the reasons you've listed and the youtube of it all in terms of we found this person with a massive amount of following that appeals to a demographic that we want to target with a 130 in the morning show um <laughs> That both speaks to where NBC and also technically like broadcast, but also whatchamacallit, um, uh, television in general, um, needs to sort of like look at 
And, um, oh, also, this is something else that it was just like, also women of color that hosted the semi-late night shows, Robin Thede. Um, so mm-hmm. let's not forget that, but we have collectively forgotten that. Um, well, it's just the difference for me between a cable show and yeah. a, and a net- network show. Yeah. And I also do take quite a distinction between a weekly show and a daily show. I think yeah. those are different beasts. But the run now is great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, there is that element of it. But there's also, we have to also, if we're going to do those splices, then we still need to splice a little late with Lily Singh, in which they're filming 96 episodes over three months. And then that's in a three-month binge, which is why they're not doing topical humor, because it's they don't have time to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, which is also like a branding effort of like, this is not my comedy, this is not what I want to do, so we're not going to do it. But also, production-wise, we can't, because it'll be immediately out of date as soon as we air it. Um, so there, there's that also that element of this is a daily program, but it's also a daily program that is being mass-produced over three months, uh, which changes, I think, how we also kind of have to conceive it, and also how we have to think about how it grows or shifts as well to what they learn and how quickly they can pivot um, over the course of those three months. Um, But I do think that this, because of its half hour format and also because of the fact that there's a heavy reliance on the guest interview, which takes up like 15 of the shows, like 22 minutes um, lives and dies on its guest. Um. And it sings chemistry with that guest because oof, those first two episodes with Kaling, uh, Mindy Kaling and uh, Keenan Thompson are not not the best. Um, but thank God for Tracy Ellis Ross because did you watch any of the Tracy Ellis Ross episode? I was just starting to watch the, that oh, one when we started recording. It's so good. Tracy Ellis Ross is amazing. That's the thing is like she's just, and it's also like a really well produced interview in that we're just going to talk about Tracy Ellis Ross's Instagram. And we're just going to do it. And that's what they talk about for like the entirety of the interviews, her Instagram and her beauty line and the videos that she made for that beauty line uh, that she's launching. And it's just like, this is really good. It's a good interview. Tracy Ellis Ross is amazing in it, but also provides plenty of material for a back and forth, which I feel like Thompson and Kaling struggle to do. Um... And also that scene kind of struggles to do, like you mentioned the direct address and a lot of the times, especially in the first couple episodes where it's like a quick aside to the camera of like, she pulls focus, um, which mm-hmm. is fine for me, but it also is just like, but it feels like you're mugging or doing a parody of a, te- of a late night television show as opposed to doing one, which is interesting, but it's not a committed bit almost in yeah. the way that like, O'Brien's approach, especially in the early going, was very much in that vein as well. Um, so like you, I'm really interested to see where this grows and develops because I want to see that happen because I think that there's a good, delightfully weird show somewhere in here. They just have to figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, but I think that they can, provided that they're nimble enough and provided they get a second season. Yeah. Well, there's a little, there's a moment where in the interview with Thompson where she says, Oh, you're weird. We're both weird. This is awesome. And that is when I think this show so far from what I've seen is best is at its best. Yeah. Embracing that. And, or like, there's like some 
uh, aside about uh, in one of her the videos about uh, parents talk to your kids about sex, yes. or else they'll learn it from the internet. <laughs> and there's just like an audience member just laughs, you know, in a certain way, and then that that triggers a whole little like, you know, aside for thirty seconds. Like you're a freak, and I love it. Um, it that that feels very genuine and fun and more spontaneous. And so if you know, and I, I can imagine Tracy Ellis Rouse is just. You know, such a great guy. She was terrific on Trevor Noah. She's she's been popping up on all these different shows uh, for Mixed Dish, but also for her hair care line. And uh, so I've seen a bunch of her interviews, and she's always really good. Um, but but also there's just some shared interest there. You know, being that because she's so social media savvy, that of course Singh is going to be able to just like get into the weeds on that with her. And that's just always a more interesting interview if something that they can clearly connect to. Certainly, I mean, I, I don't know how much of Sing's YouTube channel was interviews. I and and maybe she's done a bunch of them. I would anticipate that maybe that that's I don't think that's the center of the show from the little bit I've researched on it. Um if it is, I apologize. If it's not, then it's gonna just take a while for yeah, her to get down, used to those beats. That's as that's to be expected. Um but I you know, she's clearly very smart. Very hardworking, very driven, or she would not have the success that she's had. Um, so I think, and I also don't think NBC gives a bunch of money and and a late night slot, even the one thirty a.m. slot, to someone uh, an unknown, like an untested in traditional TV yeah. quantity lately. So right. I think there's a lot to be very interested in uh, with this show, and I also think it's a good name. No, it's a super good name. Like, it's probably, it's just, it's solid. It's much better than Last Call. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is not a good name. But, I mean, just the layers of A Little Late in terms of, mm-hmm. like, various levels of, like, jokes and meta type things with that name is really, really perfect. Um, and, like, I've already subscribed to the YouTube channel, like, um, for this, which is how I've been watching it. And bless them for just compiling every episode into a playlist so I can just run it in the morning. Um, Cause I'm not up at one thirty. <laughs> no, um, I better be asleep yeah. or else I'm in trouble the next day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm an old. Mm-hmm. Yes. We are both olds. Um, well, shall we pivot to our next show? I don't know it, a smooth way to get there because no. it's going from a very one type of show to a very different type of show over on Netflix. This last weekend, we had the release of unbelievable, which we talked about previously in our fall TV preview is being very excited about. This is the, the mini series based on, uh, it's like sort of a true crime mini series because but it's, because it's based on actual events, but it's a dramatization of them, uh, following Caitlin Deaver's character, who is uh was a was a woman who who filed uh a charge uh like a, a report about having been raped and then for various reasons uh she was not believed and was prosecuted for making a false statement um and then also at the same time which i didn't realize because i wasn't familiar with the story follows two police detectives in a different timeline who are on the track and the Kate, the hunt for the a serial rapist who is the rapist who attacked the Caitlyn Deaver character. And so this 
every a lot of people are talking about it. Everyone's been talking about it, I say, in my very particular bubble. A lot of people have been talking about it this last week, and uh, it's been getting a lot of buzz. I sat down. I was, you know, not feeling well last week, as listeners will probably remember. So I was very actively not allowed to move and do stuff on Saturday as I rested to try to beat the cold and submission, which I think worked, by the way. Very excited. Um, so I, I, I watched the first, I was caught up on my other shows that I needed to watch. So I watched the first episode and then I watched the rest of it that day. It's really good guys. <laughs> it's really good. Um, I, th- I was surprised by the split of the episodes. I, I was, when I first heard about it, I was not sure how it would be for me considering I, you know, it's just, it's a very difficult and challenging topic. Um, but most of the episodes, most of the time, I feel like you're actually on the detective side of things. The first episode, you're entirely with Caitlin Deaver. And then the second episode, they introduce Merritt Weaver's character. And then, like, basically by the third episode, you have the Tony Collette character. So it takes a little bit to kind of get the, that, the detective side of things going. Um, and they do feel kind of like kind of different shows, but all of the performances are terrific and it's really impactful and very well done. And so I highly recommend it. I imagine at some point we will do a spotlight on it. So I don't want to see too much more, but um, it, again, really thoughtfully, respectfully made uh, excellent performances. It will definitely be in the mix for award season next season, um, next year. Um, yeah. So it's, it's real good. And shout out to friend of the show, Angelica J. Bastien, because she's the one who brought it to my attention. And I might not have sought it out if she hadn't been so, like, so thoughtfully praised and commented on it to me. So thank you, Angelica. I'm very glad I watched it. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to this. Um, my partner and I have been like, do you feel like doing this? And was, we were just like, no, we we need to finish Mindhunter, and then and, um, we need to um, watch something that is not unbelievable after watching Mindhunter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we haven't gotten around to this, but we're going to, like I said when we did our preview, I'm a big fan of the book that the reporters uh, turned their ProPublica stuff into uh, for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said alternate... You said not alternate, but different timelines. Do they maintain the split between states as well? Yes. Okay. Um, because that was a big that was a big part of like the reporting in particular of like, oh, this is this is this is a this is a deal type of deal um, in terms of how this is getting investigated and just the various ins and outs. So it's not, it's not surprising to me that it has that kind of split show sort of feel to it because even the book that they turned the articles into has that as well of um how it deals with um Deaver's character um and her sort of navigation of things against um how both of the detectives are interacting with their own departments but also then one another as well uh when the cases eventually coincide um, but it's, I'm really excited about it. And like I said, I really love the book, um, which is called The False Report. Um, that also includes chapters on, um, contextualizing in a very broad sort of sense, rape in Western civilization. Like, and by Western civilization, I mean Western civilization, like dating it back to like how rape was 
legislated and uh, legal conceptions therein dating back to like the 15, 1400s as well. Um, so there's like real steady sort of um, discussion about that um, to position how we think and talk about rape today. And that was all of it's really, really interesting. So even though I know none of that is in this show. None of that's <laughs> in the show, but that's fascinating. Um, I'm still really eager to watch it because, again, the story is just deeply, deeply compelling. And one of those truth is stranger than fiction sort of deals. And so in terms of how this all plays out. So and much stickier than fiction sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, our next episode is the terror infamy Taizo, and here's the thing about this episode, Noel. Okay. Um, so this is the episode where you get the answer about Yuko. Okay. And you get it's about half, and, and half of the episode is flashback for her and her experiences, and half is resolving the cliffhanger and some of the other stuff from. Like for for with our current storyline, and okay. the first like three minutes of this episode could have and should have been a full episode. Okay, that's but, not a great sign. No, no, it's not. It's really bad. But I think I'm guessing it would have been too expensive because it it takes us back to like 1911. Okay. So you would have needed sets, you would have needed costumes, you would have, like, for, it would have been a completely different time period. So unless they had gotten creative with it, which would have been great, uh, that, you, you just, like, oh, it's so frustrating because the actor playing Yuko is really good. Really mm-hmm. good. Given, like, literally nothing to work with. Like, there's one scene where she's, like, holding a baby in a toy. You're supposed to think there's, like, a baby in a crib, but you don't see it. So you know there's no baby in that crib. <laughs> and she's got a little toy thingy that she's using to play with. And she's trying to feed the baby, but the baby won't eat. Like, it's literally just, like, a close-up on her face. And she's so good. And But I'm like, there is no baby there. They just, like, found a corner and stuck some crates together so that she could be like, oh, look, she's on the street. She doesn't have any food. Right? Like... If they had given her a story, like an episode, so we could actually get to know her and see what she's going through and what she's experiencing and, you know, like the course of her, like, it would have been really good. But instead of doing that, we get, we go, we go then cut to her in like sort of like some spiritual other world, afterlife, something, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting too. And that part of the episode, I think, is pretty strong. Um, and then we cut back to Chester and and it's okay, but nowhere near as interesting and good. And then he says this stuff that is it, I just wrote listeners, I wrote in our notes, ah, so stupid. Fucking Chester. <laughs> um, because I was finally on board with him, and then he says some stupid ass shit in this episode that is completely immature and ridiculous and not a not indicative of the character very much where the character started and that doesn't make any sense the writing is really bad basically the writing is so bad for these characters that it's just like (sighs) i know you might watch it so that's why i don't saying specifically what the deal is but Mm -hmm. like it's just so bad it doesn't make any sense um they utterly waste decay they give him some like in this episode you see why he's why that character is there 
so that he can do a thing and know so, so he can know something and do a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, oh, I can see where you probably had a whole other storyline that they cut for time. And instead of getting the Yuko episode or getting the Takei episode or something like that, instead we've gotten all this bullshit with Chester that I don't care about. And like, oh, there's just, it's really frustrating. The reveal that we get around the, the Yore in this episode, um, I think some of it works, but some of it really doesn't. It does, it's very like messy as to how it, relates to the uh the 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 concentration camps and the bigotry and these other things like it feels like they just stuck a separate unrelated thing in there to get a yore and now we're gonna go from there and we're gonna go but now we'll be like okay unpause on the history and the racism now we're gonna examine the context of the like this with you know like I don't know why you do a, a show that is set in the Japanese American concentration camps and you make the bad guy completely unrelated to the American government, to the notion of like, like it's just, it's just straight up other things that these Japanese immigrant characters have done in the past coming back to it. It's like, Oh, it's your fault for doing for being bad. It's like, wait, but why is this in this setting? Why does this story need to be set at a concentration camp? Mm-hmm. And if if it doesn't need to be set at a concentration camp, then bad, bad job writers, because you are distracting from the narrative. <laughs> what is going on? It shouldn't just happen. It's like, this is a ghost story. It just happens to be set at a plantation or in, in, during during slavery. It's like, no, no, that is a serious setting. You don't just set something in an under-discussed part of American history around a group of marginalized people who had, like, extreme wrongs done to them by the government, and then be like, oh, and also there's an unrelated bad guy thing going on. It's it's just really frustrating, Noel. So I'm hoping that there's some other reveal or twist or, or like, a shading that I'm just not connecting to that's coming, Mm -hmm. and then it'll make sense. Um, otherwise it really feels like two completely separate unrelated shows mashed together and that's really disappointing. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm just so behind. Yeah. And I was, remember, I was so excited about the last episode. Like, I'm on board now. I, like, actually care about Chester and I care about Luz and I'm like, you know, I'm on board. Let's give these actors some things to do and, and then this. And, uh... It's disappointing. Okay, cheer me up. What happened in the second half of the first se- first part of Terrace House Tokyo 2019-2020? Drama. Um, but also like deeply it's feeling borderline manufactured also in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. which is a problem because a love triangle forms between Haruka or actress uh, slash drag racer and uh risako or um risako our fitness trainer slash wannabe parkourist and kenji our musician um and it's all really frustrating because it's not exactly clear why anyone likes kenji everyone is deeply flummoxed and by everyone <laughs> i mean the commentators are deeply flummoxed because he seems really boring so and just not like 
that there's a personality there type of thing. He's good looking, do not get me wrong. But off camera, he must just be amazing to talk to because he's just a wall whenever he's on camera or he's really focused on promoting his band or paying attention to the message boards because he's actually going through the Terrace House forums and reading about how people are responding to the show and maybe adjusting himself based on that stuff, uh, which is not how the show is supposed to kind of work, but you also run into this issue. Um, so what ends up happening is, is that Risiko reveals to Kenny uh, Kenji that Haruka has feelings for him while they're all sitting at the table, which is not how Haruka wants this to find out and results in a very, like, for this show, significant fight uh, between the two women, uh, so much so that Risiko actually doesn't, like, leave leave the house, but leaves the house for, like, a couple of days and just doesn't come back for a little while, um, which is significant for this show because that just doesn't happen. Um, things sort of settle down, but then increasingly it's not clear why anyone's in interested in Kenji still. Um, plus, a large discourse around all three of the guys on this season is that they're really passive. Um, and while one of the guys gets a pass because he's 20 and just lacks experience and like ha- a degree of maturity, which is something I'm going to get to in a minute because, Kate, you, you're going to get a big, big, big kick out of this. Um, <laughs> okay. The other two guys are um, like... Shohei's 25, Ken- Kenji's 31, and there's just like, but they should, they should be, they should be a little more assertive about asking us out if they're interested in us. Why are we having to do all this work? It's kind of annoying. Um, so there's that circulating as well, and Kenji just never seems to really take a step. Like, for instance, for a date up on the roof uh, with Risako, they go to basically like a Pier 1. Um, and get a, like a bunch of cool stuff for the roof for their date. Like they get a sheet to project a movie onto, lights to go around the sheet. They get a hammock. They get a couple of candles. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's two people on a hammock. So whenever you have two people sitting in a hammock, it's like you're right next to each other because otherwise you're going to fall out. Mm-hmm. And Risiko's like, nothing happened. We were like bonded at the hip and nothing happened. What is with this guy? And it's like, (laughs) nothing. And it's like, yes, no, this is what everyone's saying. There's something wrong with him in terms of, not wrong, but there's something just really weird about how he thinks and relates in terms of expectations for everyone and what they have for him. and Communication, basically. Yeah, communication just doesn't seem to be his thing. Um, Like, Kaori, who's the illustrator and who's by far and away my favorite housemate on the show right now, Um, gets into like this argument, not argument, but is really brought down by a critique from her old professor that basically tells her your artwork is not good. Um, Even though she's getting all these commissions and everything, and Mm -hmm. she's got a gallery show that's going to be probably the focus of a few episodes in the second part, whenever that drops. And he keeps wanting to rehash what the professor said without really providing any sort of like nuanced support for her. And it's just really weird. He's just really weird. And it's very frustrating to like see them, see him try to interact with people, but not be able to. But yet two of the women are really into this guy and it's not clear why. Mm-hmm. Um, but this all brings us to Ruka, who's the 20 year old. And he's just such a poor, sweet baby. Kate, he's just a poor, sweet baby. Um, 
he still has a lot of growing up to do in terms of like what he wants to do with his life and he wants to like work for Marvel as like an actor and everyone's like all right great you need to start taking acting lessons you need to take English lessons you need to do this this and this and he's just like oh yeah I suppose I do I guess and so there's like discussions about masculinity and what's expected of you and as you're like aging into hitting your 20s, which is typically a time in which people are starting to figure out what they want to do. Um, but also there's larger discussion of his minor frustrations with the fact that all the women in the house treat him as a little brother. Um, so much so that people like some of the women like look for meals for him, check to make sure he's eating enough, that kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. because he doesn't seem able to do that for himself. (laughs) So all of this is brought to his attention by Risako, um, who's just like, this is why you need to start being more self-reliant. You need to like cook your own meals, get up earlier, et cetera, et cetera. So he does to his credit, he takes all of this to heart and like starts trying to get up earlier but Kate, he he decides to cook his own meal for the first time ever. Like, cook his own food. And he decides to do a carbonara-style pasta. Okay. But, so he's boiling pasta in their big pot. And then he just puts a whole egg, not like cracks a whole egg, and puts it in the pot with the boiling noodles. <laughs> just plops it in there. <laughs> oh. Did it say add egg to noodles? I don't know. And he just know. didn't think, realize they meant after you were no longer boiling them? I don't know. No one knows for sure. And then he he cuts the broccoli florets with scissors into the pot. <laughs> and then, like, to his credit, the man eats this bowl of flavorless pasta that he's made for himself. Mm-hmm. And he he and Haruka's there watching him do all of this, and um, in a deeply philosophical moment, he asks almost himself, "Is it a failure if it has no flavor?" <laughs> oh! And it's at that moment that it's just the answer is no. It is not a failure if it has no flavor. You prepared this dish for yourself. Yes, it was boiling pasta and basically boiling um, broccoli. And you put an egg in there that immediately went down the drain and drained the pasta. Mm -hmm. You did it. You did it yourself. But here's the crazy thing. The very next episode is uh, Kaori's birthday. He cooks all the food, including a paella that is apparently really good, to which everyone goes... Wait, what What, what just, just happened? happened? How did you go from, I'm just going to put an egg in a bunch of boiling water with some pasta to making a half-decent paella? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did you do that? Uh, <laughs> um, so that's kind of like where the dynamics are is Ruka is very much being like nurtured and supported by these people who want him to do well. Um, then there's just all this drama with the now just couple of, mm-hmm. um, Risako and Kenji, and then just everyone else sort of doing their own thing. Um, my biggest complaint right now, however, is that the commentators are really focused on the love triangle and they're not focusing enough on the fact that Shohei, who is a part-timer who dabbles in a bunch of things, including acting, did a pink film 
um, that we actually visited the set of. Um, listeners, for those who don't know, pink is the um, nomenclature that's used to describe a softcore film in Japan. And we actually visit the set and see him filming it, um, a portion of it anyway, and there's no discussion about it. And I'm just like, <laughs> why are we not discussing this? Especially because in the very first episode, they talked about him having like this white towel wrapped around his neck while they were in their bedroom and they were just kind of talking. And one of them is just like, yeah, no, that definitely looks like something out of a porn set. That was in the first episode and there's no follow up mm-hmm. <laughs> to that connection to him, yeah. him in a pink film. And it's just like, I don't understand why we're not talking about this. Please, let's talk about this just a little bit. Um, but no, they're all focused on the love triangle. And understandably so, because again, it's not really clear why anyone likes Kenji. Um, mm. So that's 12 episodes. We're not going to get anything else in for like probably until the end of the year at this rate, um, which is going to make me very disappointed because they've only aired four episodes um, in over the past month. So we're not going to get anything for a little while. But, yeah, that's where we left off. And um, so I'll come back about more um, probably by the end of the year, hopefully, um, and give you another update. Um, Hopefully, maybe he'll actually have made Carbonara-style pasta by then. Hopefully. Fingers (laughs) crossed that that will be a thing that is doable and uh, logical. (laughs) And he dropped it from so high. (laughs) Cracked the egg and just uh-huh. dropped it from like shoulder height up from the pot and just went. I don't understand what's happening right now. <laughs> Saw it in a movie once or something, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's delightful though. That's super fun. Um, this week we had the "So You Think You Can Dance" season sixteen finale, where they did their best of. Each of the judges picked several of their favorite routines of the season. Each of the dancers got to pick a, a routine, um, and then they had a couple new numbers as well. And Noel. It was so good. Yes. It was, I'm so it glad. It was really, really good. Like, I that's still on the DVR. I'm keeping that on the DVR until I get a chance to show it to at least a few other people. Because just, like, there was one or two numbers that were like, okay. But there were so many that were just really, really, really great numbers um, and from across the spectrum of genres that they do on that show. And... Um, yeah, it's been a great season um, of So You Think You Can Dance. I, I mean, and that's with it being such a truncated live or like studio show portion of the season, you know? Um, so they they did announce that next season, I guess they've been renewed. It sounds like if they get renewed, they're going to not do the Academy and instead do a top 20. Okay. Instead of doing a top 10, go back to that, which is so much better. So... I'm glad that they are listening to myself and other fans <laughs> who are saying... You, you did it, Kate. Oh, I know. Single-handedly pat myself on the back. Balloons all the um, way down last week tonight. Yeah. We did it! We did it! <laughs> um, but I would so much rather see more of the top 20 dancing than just going straight to a top 10 um, and just having like four weeks of live shows uh, or studio recorded shows, but whatever. Point being, um, each of these top like each, I mean, they they had. What was nice is they had brought back other people from the top ten to be who were in some of their favorite dances of the season, and they each got to be in at least one, which was cool. Um, but they each had they had routines that warranted it. The one thing I will say is that none of the top four when they picked 
their favorite routine of the season. None of them picked a routine with an all-star, and I call a little BS on that. <laughs> it doesn't seem... I mean, maybe none of them genuinely wanted, thought their best routine of the season was their all-star one, but that, I mean, that's just not accurate for a couple of them at least um and so while the routines they did do were good like how did we not see robert again for mariah how did we not see marco again for uh so sophie and i i think maybe it was they didn't want them to repeat the the dances literally from the most recent episode like the you know like we literally saw that last week let's pick something from further back in the season but uh it's a bit of a shame because those were some of the best dances of the season. Um, so yeah, that was a little strange. But other than that, they did bring they did bring all stars back for a couple different routines, and it's just like it was just really they're so good. And the number that one of my favorite numbers of the whole season was the the jazz Rayleigh Bridge jazz number uh, from Ryan Bailey that that you know Need You Tonight by NXS was uh, the music for that one. But I mean, like they did the tempo one. Um, the the hip hop one that those two have to tempo they did um a bunch they did they did that Broadway number from last week they did a really gorgeous slow beautiful Broadway number for two of the eliminated dancers um it, it was just a really good mix and so if you're looking for some good dance TV and some fun routines listeners just go check out the so you think you can dance finale the one thing is that if you haven't already seen the dances they don't like tell you what the story is for the dance, which may strip some mm. of them of their meaning yeah. because like they already did that the first time they aired. Um, but because they don't do that, they get to do a lot more dances because <laughs> you don't have like the clip reel of the, the rehearsals and everything. You just go right into the, the number itself, but there, it was just really, really terrific. So well done. So you think you can dance well done to Bailey who did win, um, and was terrific. And I mean, I'm sure all, all of the top four will go on to, to be working um, in their field because they're, they're all very talented and seem to be pretty smart about, you know, what they're doing at least so far with their social media game and their, their presence and their, uh, you know, how involved they are in their, in this whole process. So we will see what happens, but I'm very glad that I stuck with So You Think You Can Dance and came back for this season. Our last episode for Weekend TV is the Great uh, British Bake Off or Great British Baking Show Bread Week. And so I liked last week's episode, the, this bread episode. Um, but I did think, I was curious what you thought about the technical. Is that a bread technical? So let's start there. Uh, yes, it is a bread technical insofar as they had to make bread. It is mind boggling to me, however. <laughs> <laughs> just mind-boggling they then asked them to make a black bean burger and then didn't eat the fucking black bean burger with the bread mm -hmm. like, I don't understand Kate like I don't understand I don't understand why you make these people make eight burger baps slash buns slash dinner rolls basically mm -hmm. Plate four of them as hamburgers, complete with toppings, lettuce, tomato. And then we're subjected to watching Paul Hollywood scrape off 11 bits off the black bean burger to test the burger without eating it with the bread. 
and the tomato and the lettuce. And I just, I don't understand why this was conceived in this fashion. Because, Kate, when when you're eating bread with at, as a thing to burger, it all works together. Yes, you can... <laughs> Like, I don't understand, like, why you would do this. And I don't understand why you would make them make a black bean burger either. Like, I just don't understand. Like, I just, I don't understand. I know that the show asks them to make proteins and vegetables on a regular basis when they're doing, like, those... Um, baked what, rolls or you know like yes there's all sorts of things where they like it's it's incorporated into the baked good and and then there's also that ridiculous sauce stuff from the finale last year which feels part and parcel of this nonsense but the difference being is that whenever they have to incorporate cooked products into their bake they are always part of a signature or a showstopper because they get to practice those it is not part of the technical. <laughs> <laughs> and so the idea that we're going to judge you 10% at least on the, your successful ability to grill a black bean burger and then not eat it as a burger is just mind boggling to me. And I don't understand it. And I really, really fucking hated this technical so much. Like my entire, <laughs> my entire head just kept exploding over and over again because they never actually ate the burger. And instead just scraped a little bit off and went, yeah, no, that didn't taste very good. It looks like a hockey puck. And to which I go, Paul, Peru, have you ever seen a black bean burger? They all look like hockey pucks. They're delicious (laughs) if prepared correctly. But they all look like that in terms of just their overall aesthetic appearance. Um, Some of them Mm -hmm. looked way too large, but that's a different issue. Um, They all look like that. I don't think you've ever eaten a black bean burger, any of you. Um, So (laughs) it was a very bad technical and it made me really, really frustrated, which was not a great position to be in when we go into the showstopper of this generally underwhelming decorative loaf display. Um, but tell me how you felt about the technical, because am I just insane? Have I just like lost my mind? No, like the notion that it's the great British baking show, the great British bake off. Yeah. And then they're expected to cook and they are going to be judged not on how like cook this so that you, we can see if your bun can like hold up to that. Exactly. Not if it maintains the entire structure. (laughs) No, not that so that we can see if you can know how to cook a burger. No, that is not, it's not Great British cook-off. It's Great British bake-off. They're entirely different. They're very different disciplines. And they shouldn't, I mean, like, okay, you have to make the burger, but we're not judging you on the burger. Fair enough. I will go with that. Yes. You know, and if you if you screw up the burger enough, the moisture content and things will mess up your bun. That I'll go with. But they should not have been judged at all on the burger. There were definitely people who were up and down in the rankings dependent on their burgers. I thought that was very stupid. I thought the the thing about the size of the buns was stupid, too. When they're like, oh, these are too small. It's like, well, you didn't specify a size they needed to be. So dot, 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 ellipses. Um, I thought that was annoying. Um, yeah, I just, I thought that the notion of having to do a roll is a good one. Yes. An interesting thing. Uh, but it just, it did feel a bit like they're running out of bread ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not a good sign. Because yeah. the show is going to be up for a while. 
Yeah, no, it isn't. And like you said, like, I think the idea of doing a dinner roll is, or a roll of some kind, is actually generally really good because it, it's a very sort of basic, basic air quotes kind of top uh, a recipe type of deal. But it's also something that feels foundational in a lot of ways, like roasted chicken and potatoes type of deal in like French cuisine of if you can get this, then we can start like actually learning how to do stuff. And that's kind of where I feel like with the dinner roll is like, this is something that is innocuous in a sense, but it's also something that if it's not good, it's very not good. And it can hurt an entire meal in a lot of ways because a starch or bread is a good accompaniment to a number of things. And it's, which gets to the point of, if you're going to make them do a burger, you eat the bread as part of the burger because that's what makes it a burger. It's its function. It's, it's, the function of the role is to yeah. be good on a burger. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's also like it's it's the kind of challenge where they're like, yeah, you could make it, but nobody ever does. They always just buy that. Right. Yes. So, like, can you actually make a good version of the thing yes. that nobody bothers to make? It's the yes. same thing as when they make them make puff pastry. You know, like yes. no one <laughs> makes puff pastry unless that's like they're a, a professional baker. People don't usually make they right. buy it. Even even like high profile, prominent cooks and chefs just buy puff pastry and then make the recipe from there because um, yeah. it's just so much work. Uh, yeah. So, so it was just, it was, uh, it was interesting. I did like the Terrence Share loaf signature. Yes. I have, as I read my review over at the AB club, I have a, a fond place in my heart for Terrence Share loaves after a conductor um, got a uh, hot cross bun Terrence Share for the whole orchestra when we were doing a, cause he was, he's British and we were doing an all British music uh, concert. So okay. to celebrate, he he got hot cross buns for everyone from a local bakery, and it was delicious. So I appreciated Terrence and I was surprised they hadn't done one yet at this point. Lots they, of like several people had done Terrence shares okay for a different category. Okay, yeah, but I like this one. I did too. Like the signature, I think is like the strongest overall part of this particular episode um, because there's just so many different things that you can do with a Terrence share as this episode sort of gets at like there's a couple of savory ones in the mix here which i really really appreciated that not everyone did well there's mostly savories I should mostly say. savory yeah um with two very oversized cinnamon roll <laughs> terran chairs um and while and baklava, i do yeah and baklava i do appreciate that one of them is like this is too big to be a Terran chair, to which I go, you are correct. However, <laughs> it is still a Terran. Like, oh, there's icing on it. It's not a Terran chair. Uh, you just aren't trying. Pull from yeah. the side. Yeah, yeah. That is, <laughs> you're not putting enough effort into it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen a Cinnabon? It could be so much bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, no, I, I like the approach of the Terran chair. I thought a number of the Terran chairs looked really good. Um, like I liked, um, Henry's sort of, um, checkerboard chicken and pesto one on an aesthetics level, even if the taste wasn't quite there, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think the signature worked really well. Um, I sort of teased how I felt about the showstopper, but what did you think about the showstopper of doing what amounted to a bread or bread arrangement for a lot of folks on a Mm -hmm. flat display? Um, Because I know, like, the scoring was supposed to sort of be the thing here. Mm -hmm. But how did you feel about it? And please keep in mind that you are not allowed to talk about 
a white person doing African masks yet. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I just like <laughs> completely stepped aside from that one. Just didn't I'm like I'm not even getting into this one. Yeah. Um the I actually really liked the concept. I thought it was really cool because that's the kind of that's a kind of thing that people don't think about necessarily, but actually is really can be really neat if it's done well. Yes. Um it can it can it adds dimensions of texture and and uh sh- like the the shape, the size, the texture of it and it and it cooks a little different too. So so I think that's actually really interesting and I actually I was really impressed by a bunch of them. I thought like Alice did not get nearly enough props for her globe bread which totally recognizably was the globe. I was like, how did you, like, well done. Good job. Thumbs up. Um, so I actually thought that was really, really neat. I would not have let them use paint on the bread. I thought that was, you know, cheating. Um, but I, I thought that there were a number of really interesting ones and, and it was creative and, and neat. I would have liked, like I said, no painting. And, you know, I, th- I think it's just the thing that, there's only so many things you can do to make a visually appealing bread loaf. That's because yeah. the whole point of bread, right, compared to these other things that they're making, is that once it's in the oven, you're done. You can't like you, you, yeah. you know, it. All is always a fun episode to watch because they're all just like staring at their, through their ovens because they don't have toppings they need to make. They don't have icing they need to prepare. They aren't making little gum paste flowers or something, right? Like that's it. As soon as it's in, it's in the it's in the god's hands, the baking god's hands, you know. Um, and and so that's a really fun dynamic and and element of the show to watch. Um, but then that means that just. There's nothing else you're going to be able to do. It, like, you're not going to be able to snazz it up extra, and and that's just an issue inherent in bread week. So that means you have to get those visually impressive things from other elements. Um. So yeah, for me, that's a long way of saying I actually liked it. I thought it was a creative and different challenge. I liked it, and I thought some of them were actually really impressive. Yeah, I just didn't feel particularly compelled by any of them. I think that there was one that I really thought looked really, really good, but I can't remember which one it was now because it's been a week since I even I really liked Helena's like um her her cauldron. I think, I think with that's the, the one I liked was the Halloween one a lot. Yeah, um, I liked Michael's campfire. I thought his actually his Terran chair was just stunning. I like. Oh no, that Terran chair was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, he rightfully deserved to win um, this week, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and yeah, just, but then the African masks. And no one saying anything was also deeply, deeply frustrating of like, mm-hmm. are we going to address this? No, Prue's just going to say, those are certainly African masks. And that's all we're going to say about that. And I just went, no, I feel like we need to say more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's say more about this, please. <laughs> Yeah, well, in, in the thing, I just don't think I'm the person to talk about it mm-hmm. because then they people like it's the visual imagery, right? Is the concern and yeah. the stereotyping and the you know the boiling down of just like not like a specific region of like right. desi- a mass, just like. All, Af- all of Africa is this, right? Gen- you know, yeah. that's that's a problem. Um, that is, you know, problematic in that favorite, you know, go to word. Um, yeah. So, I just, I, 
I feel like I'm not the person equipped to talk about yeah. the issues there. So I don't want to get into it. Yeah. But I do think it's a worthwhile discussion. And if you want to get into it, I will happily listen and share my thoughts. No, it's all right. I'll 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 be okay. But it was just like is no one gonna No, we're not gonna say anything about this? Okay. Alright. The show's not gonna acknowledge this. Alright. I'll move along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the Paul Hollywood handshake? Um, I'm just I'm over it. Um I am too, but I was surprised that I wasn't annoyed as much as I usually am by Paul in the handing out of the handshake. Yeah, no, I think that's where I landed as well. I was like, yeah, I'm over it, but at the same time, I don't feel rage about it. So Like last time I definitely did, so yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, uh, this is a thing that's not going away. It's fine. It's too signature for the show to like put it away. Um, but also for me, the entire thing is just diminished by the fact that Paul Hollywood apparently doesn't know how to eat a hamburger. So <laughs> apparently not. Yeah. Um, I thought another issue I had with this episode is that I didn't feel like they built a strong narrative yes. with Amelia. It yeah, was really no. just like all of a sudden and she's eliminated. You know, it yeah. didn't like she knew that she was in trouble, like that she needed to to have a good showstopper round, but it didn't it wasn't satisfying to watch. It wasn't like I didn't feel like I went on a journey with with her. Yeah. Even just in this episode, let alone all season, in the way that I definitely felt like I was going on a journey with some of the other characters or people, contestants, sorry. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll say about this episode is that I think that Michael is really coming into his own as like sort of the narrator of the season and like one of their go to like talking head yes. or like interview people to explain what's going on. And I think that's he's doing really well with that. Yeah, I agree with both of these things in that there's a lack of a narrative within the episode in regards to Amelia. And it's sort of frustrating, but at the same time, it's so early in the run that you just kind of go, meh, okay, type of thing of like, I liked you. You seem to have a really good personality, but you also seem to be like kind of consistently struggling a little bit. Like um, she came in ninth last week um, and her dolphins looked like manatees. <laughs> in the um, Biscuits uh, showstopper. And then she did okay in the cake episode. So it was just one of those things of like, yeah, I guess it was just time, but could have been anyone. Could have been a double elimination. Who knows? Type of thing. I do agree with you that Michael is definitely sort of becoming their go-to, however. Uh, he's providing a lot of personality. He's providing sort of a very approachable... Um, explainer sort of like thing that a number of the other bakers just either aren't providing or are providing in not entertaining ways or ways that feel consistent with the show. Um, and I think that, that there's always someone who's able to provide that kind of stuff on the show or multiple people, but he does feel like the only one that's really kind of um, providing that right now. Um, do you think that's going to help him advance or did he get eliminated this week in dairy week and i just have to watch <laughs> to find out <laughs> i'm not saying anything about dairy week other than it i loved it i gave it an a i saw the headline for your review in my uh, google discover and so yeah the the picture that from the episode 
that that I used is of a moment of Prue unintentionally making a ball joke um, and just <sighs> all of them losing it. I just feel like I got to, like you the sense of I got so far through this because a bunch of them are making desserts that are little balls for that. Um, and it's just it's like the episode is so slap happy and ridiculous by that point that uh-huh. it's just hilarious and fun. Um, and it's not the pained like really f- irritating uh, attempts at organ jokes that they were making in the cookie episode. So right. like it's um you know like I I really enjoyed it and um I look forward to your, to your thoughts. It was my favorite. It's my favorite episode of the season so far. It's my favorite episode of the last couple seasons probably. Okay. Um so I I don't want to overhype it or anything. It's just like too late. The tone mm-hmm. the tone was really delightful. Yeah. Um yeah. So yeah, I look forward to your thoughts when you've had a chance to see it. I will say also, I think like, do you have a you know people you think are gonna be likelier to win? Because I again, like I said last week, I feel like every week there is a new star baker. There's a new person who does really well, and then the next week the people who did really well are usually just like average for yeah. the tent. Mm-hmm. I so I really like we're down to it. I mean, I know who the top nine are, but like at this yeah. point, a top ten and like. Like it could be half of them. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I, I still think that's fair. Um, I do think that there are like for me, like I feel like Alice is sort of up there um, mm-hmm. overall. Um, I think that Michelle is kind of up there um, in no small part because, again, as friend of the show Corey Barker pointed out to me, um, Michelle looks like Claire from Fleabag, and it's kind of distracting <laughs> once you realize that. <laughs> She, yeah, yeah, that, she really does, yeah. <laughs> and now I can't unsee it. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I think that I think that the two of them are sort of on there, um, like up there for me right now. But everyone else is sort of like kind of circulating around as well. Like I really have people that I want to do better, type of thing. Uh, like I really want Priya to do better um, because I'm getting a lot of like good design work but like the flavors just aren't there yet and i'm just like Mm -hmm. just get there with your flavors please do it do it do it i believe in you um and i'm also ready for like helena to really kick it up like a spooky notch like i'm just like just start going all in on this start going Mm -hmm. all in because a you're delightful and b people keep underestimating what your showstoppers are going to look like and then they look really really good and I want you to just kind of like lean in real hard on that uh, going forward. Um, so that's kind of where I'm falling right now, um, having not seen Dairy Week yet. So yeah. watch one of the people I mentioned go home this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when you have a chance to see it, let me know what you think. Cause... Like the only person I feel like is probably maybe approaching going home is maybe Phil. Um, but I've just been underwhelmed by Phil. So Okay. Yeah. I enjoy Phil quite a bit just because I like to imagine him in his truck and then coming home and, you know, baking all of this and then yeah. going back out to be a long haul trucker again. Um, so and yeah, Phil is really our only like air quote old on the, this yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, which again is just such a weird thing that there aren't like more like there need We need some more Nans. Yeah. 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 And it's just, again, the fact that they skewed much younger than they normally do this season is frustrating yeah so thoughts once you've seen dairy and we'll talk about it next week for now what wins of outrage i'm sure at some point maybe (laughs) or delight depending on how it goes do you know the next episode is after dairy 
No, I don't know what's after dairy. So. Roaring Twenties. Oh, man. They're so screwed. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... I'm, yeah, I... You know, like, I, I was not excited about Dairy Week, and then I loved it, so... Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that means. I just know that they're probably screwed, because everyone always struggles with those period um, period bake um, type things, even if it's <laughs> from just the last century. Um, they're always um, screwed. <laughs> hold that thought. This the the dairy technical is from Tudor times. Henry VIII. Oh yes, yes. So, anyway, I'm guess I'm guessing it's a prude technical because only she yes, would do it that. It is to them. okay. Yeah, only she would do that to people. So <laughs> I look forward to your thoughts. Okay, what went your week in TV? I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like I watched enough TV this <laughs> week. Um. So I. Yeah, um, I, I guess Mindhunter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I give it to Mindhunter and like specific parts of Mindhunter, which we'll get into in a minute. But yeah, I think Mindhunter won my week. Uh, what about you? Well, I, I watched, I mean, I was ready to just give it to the So You Think You Can Dance finale. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but then I remembered, oh wait, Unbelievable was amazing. Yeah. Um, and the, and I also watched the Queen Sugar finale and, oh, you Papa's breath. Right? Did it just murder you, like, all yes. the way to your core? All the way. <laughs> all the way to my core. Um, that was last week, though, technically, mm-hmm. from when it aired. So I will give it to Unbelievable, but with a very strong shout-out Yeah, to the So You Think You Can Dance because I had a blast watching that. Mm-hmm. So <sighs> that wraps up, wraps up our week in TV. Now we will take a break and come back with our season spotlight on Mindhunter Season 2. We'll be right back after this. January 1974. They just moved in two months prior. My partner and I were first on the scene. He was feeling for a light when something bumped him. That's when we found the little girl hanging from this pipe. Jesus. I found someone to take over who would be very good for the BSU. He wants to expand the unit, and he intends to make our approach practice. Tell me, who's the one you want more than anything? Manson. I'll get you, Manson. This is $100,000, and it's all yours if you help us identify the persons behind the murders of our children in Atlanta. Another child reported missing in Atlanta. I'm sending you both. I want you there for the duration. To all these children, one kill. I believe that to be the case. It's statistically rare for serial killers to cross racial lines. It's also statistically significant that the Klan kills black people. You get him out of there. If he blows this gun, we'll rethink his investment. I'm asking you as the leader of your department. What did Holden say that so offended the city? We need to stay focused. If you're distracted... I have some things to deal with at home. It's personal. She had someone else's underwear stuffed down her throat. It's 10.30. Do you know where your children are? This is one predator. What if you're wrong? I'm not. You arrogant, self-serving twerp. We can't have tunnel vision. What evidence is there to suspect the Klan? Son, we've got 19 dead black children. You telling me that's a coincidence? One more thing. Manson is small. Like, really small. Try not to stare. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Calls. It turns over by Noel Kirkpatrick. And that was the trailer for season two of Netflix's Mindhunter, which has been off the air for a while. Uh, Noel, remind us, how did you feel about season one of Mindhunter? And were you excited to have the show back? Yeah, so season one aired back in October of 2017, uh, which is why it feels like it's we should have had more show by now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... 
really liked season one, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um, largely on a performance level. Um, I think that between um, Groff, um, Jonathan Groff, um, Holt McCallany, um, and then Anna Torv um, are all really, really good. Plus um, Cameron Britton, who plays Ed Kemper. Yeah. Um, just very heavy. Dead. Creepily good. And who. I'm glad returns for a quick uh, turn in season two because it was just like, um, if you're not in this ep- in this season at all, I'm going to be disappointed because it's just magnetic type of thing um, and the way in which everyone interacts with him. Anyway, so on like an acting acting perspective, I really really enjoyed it. Um, from a intersexual location title card, I really really enjoyed it of DeKalb County, Georgia. Um, Rockdale, Georgia Um, so all of that kind of stuff I really really enjoyed as well but it's also just one of those shows that because Groff is really really good it carries itself really well um, and really well and season one in particular does a generally good job of like keeping you compelled without like feeling necessarily like it is exploitive, exploitative in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, it's just, it doesn't feel different enough, but there's plenty to enjoy, I think, in season one. Um, so how did you feel about season one? Remind us. Yeah, I liked season one quite a bit. And like you, like you it was a very much uh, centered on the performances and uh, specifically Groff and... Um, and and Anna Torv, the little they gave her, and Holt McElhaney yes. was also terrific. But again, they didn't give him very much. Uh, he was just sort of there to be the the ballast, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, and I was excited for season two. I, th- I mean, especially the way the season one ends is just so intense and r- really affecting. Like you don't realize how much they have you until you get to the end of, of the the season, and you're just like terrified as as the character is um so i was yeah i was excited for the season two and i think that a lot of what really i mean i I really like season two i thought it was even better than season one and um while i do you don't have that same core of some of those interviews especially 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 the um cameron britain performance um what you lose there you get really powerfully in this extra time we spend in the home lives of our supporting characters. And for me, I was just so, I mean, I have, we can talk about how you feel about, uh, Tench's stuff, like how convenient that is. Um, and you know, it makes for some really straightforward, like he's wondering how this relates to his home, you know, like it's, but the performance I thought was really good. And I was very grateful for the extra time we spent with, uh, Torv and, and, in in her like home life, what's going on with her and the part, I mean, even when it didn't all necessarily work, I really liked getting to sit with that character more. Yeah. And I think that season two ends up feeling like a very different animal from season one mm-hmm. and not in a bad way. Like, like you said, I appreciate to a degree um, this uh, visit to the home life. Um, if only because it helps give us a lot from Tench um, it almost feels as if Jonathan Groff was only available for certain periods of time, so they kind of structured this season around uh, McCallany mm-hmm. and to the show's benefit in a lot of ways, because it's 
kind of like tour de force sort of performance from him this season and the way that season one was very much about Groff and that performance. I feel like this is very much about Holt McCallany and what he's doing as Tench is really, really good. You described him as ballast in season one, which I think is accurate, but here he's literally what's anchoring so much of this season um, in really good ways. Um, Even if, again, it's very heavy handed and trite um not trite well worn too well worn mm-hmm. um uh stuff with his home life but we can dig into that in a little bit um but then everything with anna Torv's, uh car and with um what's her name k um i think is generally really good it's certainly better than her hanging out with a cat for three episodes <laughs> <laughs> as much as i love that cat and the weirdness of hanging out with a cat for three episodes um i think that there's there's really good stuff there and that also again kind of circles around to some of the larger thematic stuff that the show wants to discuss this season um through by either through the lens of what little interviews we what few interviews we get this season to exploring the Atlanta children murders of the late seventies and early eighties. Um so I think that there's plenty of good stuff in terms of how it's structured thematically. It's just sometimes the plot doesn't live up to those aspirations, in part because some of it just feels really, really tired. Um but I do look forward to season three where we just spend a whole lot of time with Greg and find mm-hmm. out all the stuff about Greg. <laughs> who didn't even get invited to that party and he's just standing there by the copier wanting so badly to be invited to Michael Service's party and just does not get invited and it's it's rough man it's just rough yeah no it's it's definitely rough uh, <laughs> the 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 party that scene was just so it was so good watching how Carr how Wendy and Bill navigate it was mm-hmm. you know and, and the watching and how the, ford does not navigate no oh he's terrible um <laughs> but but just like watching bill turn on and off um mm-hmm. and just be like you know he's a big reason you have this department because he can do that stuff and you are useless holden at this uh it's like and and, and watching it, the performance is just so good um because you can tell he does not care about this at all but he also knows that this is part of his job. And so he, you know, sidles up to the table and starts talking about interviewing Manson because he knows the things that they want to hear and they knows the things they really don't want to hear. Um, whereas Holden is just like, oh, you guys are actually interested in our work. Let's talk about it. It's like, no, stop, stop with your mouth. Close it. Just go, just go. I think I think Wendy's calling you. Go over there and save her from the lech. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was really it was really funny that part it was really interesting and funny um having having service there michael service as their new like uh overseer of the department um Mm -hmm. ted gunn he was terrific and just the right like you're watching him be like can we trust you are you a good guy are you a bad guy are you and then by the end of the season you're like oh you're a self-serving guy that makes sense (laughs) <laughs> that yeah. tracks um yeah and watching like and holden like really thinks he's got a best friend now i'm, I'm gonna call ted i'm gonna call ted yeah <laughs> like, it's just it's so funny and um ridiculous and 
absolutely in character. There were just so many little threads throughout the season that I thought they handled really nicely, like that one. Um, and I think I'm mostly just kind of delaying talking about some of the other creepier stuff. So any other thoughts on that part of it before we dive in with the Tenches and then the, the Atlanta child murders? Right. So I, I think you're totally right about how, like, the humor that they derive from the juxtaposition of how Ford and Tench handle that. But I also really appreciate how much of, as soon as people know that Tench interviews serial killers, everything else just kind of stops around them and they just <laughs> want to talk about it. And I really enjoyed how it, like... Like, it's always dudes until it's the social worker who's suddenly, like, enraptured mm-hmm. by this concept of the fact that he talks to serial killers. And suddenly it's like, oh, this is really interesting, too, to me. And it's just like, good. I'm glad that we achieved that balance, as, but also, like, serving that as sort of a button to the joke of, like, no, this is something that we're all interested in. And it becomes a meta sort of commentary on the fact that we watch these shows, we're compelled by these shows. Um, both fictionalized versions and then actual sort of things as well. So that little kind of salacious commentary approach to it is really, really delightful. But it's also something that's, while it becomes a running joke, it's also the larger sort of pointed critique of that is understated, which in a season that kind of avoids understatement is really impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really appreciated that aspect and it may arguably be sort of like my favorite bit of this season, apart from the montage in season in episode nine, which I think is one of the best montages of the season. Uh, the stakeout montage is just so good. I'll have to remember that for the, for the, the smorgasbordgy for the best montage. I already put it in my document. I was just like, (laughs) I'm not forgetting this. I never have a montage. I'm not forgetting this. (laughs) Nice. Um, so I think that that's a really solid sort of critique, um, that kind of helps when they pivot away from doing interviews and more importantly, when they pivot away from doing interesting interviews, um, since a lot of their interviews just become mouthpieces for thematic type stuff, or they become Manson and Manson is providing a thematic type of deal there. Um, but it's also just exhausting because I have zero interest in Manson and that performance mm-hmm. is just Manson type stuff. There's nothing that feels particularly fresh or compelling about it, or as charismatic as like the Kemper mm-hmm. um, stuff. But they set their bar just way too high <laughs> <laughs> already. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I fall um, on all of this. And yeah, no, having Gun be really self-serving and advancement, I think, really works well for the dynamic but in that yes he wants everything to do well because it makes him look good um because he's not going to make the same mistake that that idiot made <laughs> mm-hmm. when someone had to take the fall for this um he's like this isn't going to happen to me because we're going to do everything correct in so far as we can <laughs> mm-hmm. um so i think that there's just the overall politics of it i think are just really really good um so yeah let's let's talk about yeah, let's talk about Tench and Nance and um, the kid whose name I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Brian. Yeah. Brian. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about the Tench home life and just the general sort of creepiness of that. Yeah, I I, I don't know that I like the decision to, to go from in season one, he's like, 
wondering about this kid that, you know, they adopted and, like, he seems kind of creepy and, like, contrasting that with his work to going, like, no, we're going to make him involved in the death of a baby. Like, that felt, again, it's on the nose. It's, it's, it feels like an easier choice. Um, it, but if you're going to do that, I thought they did it so well. I mean, it's all effective, but it's also all, like, it's all relying really heavily on a kid providing blank-eyed stares and editing around that to enhance that sort of um, uncanniness. And it doesn't feel, for me, it doesn't feel compelling. It doesn't feel novel. It just feels like demonic sort of possession sort of approach to creepy child horror type tropes without like really leaning in too heavily on that. And it just never goes anywhere for me in a vein that feels interesting since so much of it is about Nance and about Tench. And that's fine, I think. But the lack of perspective from Brian just, I think, hampers things a little bit too much for me. And the fact that he gets regulated to providing Omen-esque sort of um, performance type stuff. Um, I did it for you, Damien! Um, (laughs) Just never goes anywhere for me. And it just it results in a lot of this feeling flat and then heavily handedly flat since so much of the interviews and then discussions around children in the land child stuff keeps driving home that kind of concept. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's frustrating for me a little bit, but I do think that um, it makes a big difference that uh, Stacy Roca, who plays uh, Nancy is really, really good here. Um, and especially as her sort of mental health begins to deteriorate um, from the stress of having to do this alone. But the fact that we don't really get to see her doing it too, too much alone, aside from that one thing where he just leaves the house, mm. is limits also. But she does a really good job of making sure that there's a through line there. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, it keeps the entire thing from feeling completely bogged down. Um, her whole phone call when he calls her, I think is just beautiful um and she's just like exhausted and feels very matter of fact in her responses to that phone call and i think that's just beautiful um but i think that the overall arc of it just doesn't work for me um or it doesn't work as well as i think they wanted to just because of how many times i've seen this before yeah i think it is playing and relying very much on the fact that we've seen this kind of thing before it's like the the work it's purposeful for sure on the on yeah. the the home life, and you know he's not being an equal partner, and blah blah blah. blah. And um, they do sidestep the nagging spouse thing, I think, pretty well. Yes. But I I still wasn't invested in Nancy. I was very mm-hmm. much uh, invested in Bill. I'm like, yeah, this is horrible. What do you want him to do? You know, like you know, there's not an easy answer. Um, because. I think we, I think again, we, like you were saying, I think we needed more time with Nancy to see the strain, to see yeah. it where, to see, like, cause we were getting that, but not enough to just be with her. And I think we also needed, I think we needed more nuance in the kid too, more nuance in what yes. he was going through and seeming like he was 
like I w- didn't have a strong enough connection with him before this happened. Yes. So that because like, he was already seemed weird right before this happened, and then he shuts down even further because you know he experiences this trauma and that like having that contrast would have really helped. Yeah, it would have. Um, and not having that just there's a lack of like performance and writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, asking the kid to just kind of stand there and look creepy, I think is fine. Like, yeah. Whatever. Um, but like you, the, the, it all falls to Roka to make all of this work basically because the writing isn't there. Um, and the plotting isn't there to do that. So things like very quietly talking about wanting to move to avoid dealing with all of this mm-hmm. is as close as we get, but her performance and how Roka handles all of that, I think helps keep that plot moving, even if the writing just isn't there. So they owe her like a number of gift baskets. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's move to Atlanta. Uh, yeah. I appreciated the recurring figures we got. I I appreciated the prominence of the mothers and the families. Mm-hmm. I um though I thought it was very interesting that apparently, I mean, I haven't done enough research into it, but what I was seeing in a, in a curse research, the Mindhunter people didn't go talk to the actual families of these kids. Like, they might not have even known the show was doing this topic, and that feels like a big oversight um, and not a cool thing to do when you're casting somebody to play a real-life person. Um, yeah. So so that was troubling for me. Um, but just within the text of the show, I thought that they did a good job with those characters. Uh, I thought the contrast within the police department and the different though they did a pretty good job um i mean i don't know how accurate it is but i think it was a narratively compelling job of um showing the different forces at work within the city within atlanta and um yeah i i, I thought that it was you know for, given what you know how much of it was based on actual things that happened i thought they did it they did a good job um but i'm sure you have very strong and interesting perspective on this being an Atlantan, so what is that? Was that the right term? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's important to keep in mind that I was not even born when all of this was happening. Yeah, um, but even <laughs> just like filming wise, being like that looks like Atlanta. That does not. Right. No, there are elements of that that happen. Um, like um, particularly with the Omni, which is the hotel that they stay in. Mm. Um, it's the it v- is very much the Omni. Um, in like. A number of hotels in Atlanta all have that same kind of Panopticon module, module, modular design to them of being able to look out from the lobby from your hotel room, um, which is, as just a personal aside, is like one of my favorite architectural things about hotels. Um, mm. I like that. It's just an aesthetic. Um, uh, another hotel in Atlanta is organized in that fashion. Um, and I just, I really, really like it. But, um, so it was cool about the Omni. Um, the restaurant that they go to is indeed, um, one of the major historic, uh, uh, black restaurants in Atlanta. Um, like King ate there a lot. Um, and so having that be present, I think was also really good, but the food in there is also very, very good. It's not a lie when it's told this is some of the best food in the city. It is some of the best food in the city. Um, so like a number of that kind of stuff, but also like at least some research, uh, done of like, 
they bring in when they bring in like the KKK guy and he's complaining about Bobby Cox, um, um, which is a fair complaint in the at that time period since they fired Cox in eighty one um, after the Braves came in fifth in the division. And then he went to the Blue Jays for a little while, and then he comes back in the, like the '90s and just kicks off like the Braves' dominance within the division, um, and plus their rivalry with the Mets um, throughout the '90s um, is like a big thing. Um, and I was alive for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, all of that, all of that is to say that there's plenty of good stuff, sort of like in terms of how they depict Atlanta I I didn't look up whether or not they like filmed in Atlanta for any of this and I should have before we recorded um um but there's plenty of like stuff of like the fact that the Chattahoochee just runs through pretty much like the state um in terms of like no this is a significant thing that you're asking us to do you don't understand it's a river (laughs) we appreciate that it's not the Mississippi but still there's a lot of bridges going over the hooch (laughs) um but your point about like um the various sort of um humor that they derive from the fact that no one can enact holden's master plans because of paperwork is just beautiful like no we can't we have to like those crosses we i mean we could build them in-house or you could buy them but it's uh, it's a rush order and also we can't make these flyers because we have to contract out and do a public bid and that kind of like bureaucracy of that which is all very accurate like probably even today in terms of because you're a public institution you have to do bids or you have to like organize all of this kind of stuff um is very good and i like how that just becomes increasingly frustrating for him um so i think like there's a number of really good things here um I do think that it's a problem that they didn't go talk to anyone about this, however, Um, especially in light of the fact that the current mayor of Atlanta sort of reopened these cases this year back in March um, in an effort to potentially get a conviction for um, to get some sort of conviction for these uh, murders um, since uh, Wayne Williams has maintained his innocence in terms of the children murders. Um, and he was convicted for the adult murders um, f- that they end up charging him with here. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a really sticky type of situation to like also talk about because this really consumed the media landscape um, in the late seventies and early eighties. Um, and still to this day, like there's a really good podcast about it. Um, and there were a number of like TV movies, uh, made about them. And so it's just this thing that feels both under discussed, but has been like within the media center. And I think that this is generally a pretty solid dramatization of that experience to a certain degree, particularly from this perspective of this is a chance for us to prove ourselves but this is also what happens when our theory is put into practice of where we have to deal with politics outside of the FBI, where we have to deal with the fact that this community does not believe or want it to be what Holden's profile is of a 20 to 30 year old black male. And because it's always the Klan. (laughs) 
And but also this will ruin our community and community being a large part about this, but then also juxtaposing really beautifully that scene in the church where they're talking about a dead baby within Tench's neighborhood and then how everyone is within that community deeply outraged and then just the fact that no one can be heard within the Atlanta community uh, and the black community there as well is, again, the show's really, really good at the juxtapositions and thematic parallels that it wants to draw this season. And I've talked a lot, so I'm going to (laughs) stop. Yeah, no, I I agree. It was, you know, there were, like we've said, there were some issues with how they were handling the Tench storyline, but I can see why they wanted to parallel it. And you know, there are parts of it that were incredibly effective. So, Um, well, are you uh, excited for season three? Is it getting a season three? Do we know that yet? It has not received one. Um, I know that Fincher wants to do five seasons, um, but also (laughs) given Netflix's uh, current behavior, they may not get five seasons. Um, So I don't know. Um, I just have to imagine that this is a really difficult show to pull together on a schedule and budget level. Yeah. Um, So, um, but I am curious about what, the third season looks like and i want a third season because i do enjoy watching this show and between its overall thematic sort of paralleling and construction particularly that they've demonstrated this season with a really kind of a sly gallows humor um down to casting nate cordry as a detective (laughs) um is just really really delightful um that I definitely want to see more of it. And I would really like Anna Torv to get to do more as well. Um, because we didn't even really talk about like the rhythms of her relationship with Kay and how really kind of good all of that was. Um, like self-level good, I think. Um, mm-hmm. All of that really, really was. Yeah, no, it, it was good material for her to work with. And she's very good. So she crushed it. Um and in the the back and forth, like like it would be so hard to be in a relationship with her. <laughs> like, oh yeah, really hard. Um. So yeah, and that all oh, that final line was just so harsh and like epic, classic, like l- great last line or whatever. Like, but that's the kind of thing that that's gonna sting for a long time. And uh, yeah, ooh. Oh, that's that's harsh. But um, as for season three, I I do hope it gets a season three, and uh, it because these again these performances, just the approach, the nine episodes was I thought bang on perfect. Yeah, I think the episode counts fine, but uh, I don't need seventy three minute episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I I just don't like my person and I were watching. Um, I forget which episode it was. Um. I think it was the Manson interview episode. Um, and we were like, we kept waiting for it to end and it never did. <laughs> and we were both really, really frustrated um, as we realized that the episode was like far more than an hour. So I, I want them to rein in <laughs> their, um, their FX. <laughs> FX. Okay. FXness. Um, do you think that season three is BTK all the way, or do we're going to get more like 
Wichita. Yeah, I would cards. expect. Yeah, I think it's going to be a while before we get to. Be, I mean, especially if he's got a five season plan. Unless they tell him this is your last season, then yeah. you know. Especially if it takes a while to film it, they might jump ahead and you know. But um, I would not expect. I would expect BTK to be the last season no, of the show. You're right because he doesn't get apprehended until like the aughts. Yeah, he doesn't get apprehended until the aughts, but his killing spree stops in 91 i think um mm-hmm. so even though he only killed 10 people that yeah they well, found yeah yeah that they found so yeah so we'll yeah. see no you're right he's probably the he's probably the um it's probably the last thing that they do um yeah okay we'll see We'll see. I don't well, know enough about serial killers. I so. I also don't know much about serial killers, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I know more I than I probably want to. Yeah. <laughs> and on that cheery note, uh, if you show notes, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can send us an email, theteleverse.gmail.com. Then you can also like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can find us on Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse And, Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great week. Thanks, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.